Welcome to Adequate Yearly Progress, Episode 10. My name is Erin Sterling, and I'm the librarian at Eckstein Middle School in Seattle, Washington. Every episode, I interview a different teacher and find out why they became a teacher, and what they like about it, and what they don't like about it. In this episode, I interview Josh Hansen, who is not only a smart, sincere, thoughtful teacher, but who also happens to be married to a woman I went to library school with. Talk about a small world. Josh is a PE teacher at Eckstein who has also taught social studies, language arts, science, and tech, which just goes to show you his breadth of knowledge and excitement for teaching. Listen to Josh talk about his vision for PE curriculum, how on earth he has so many endorsements, and about the benefits of substitute teaching all over the district. All right, let's go. Hi, Josh. I'm glad you're on my show. For everyone listening, this is Josh Hansen. He is a teacher at Eckstein Middle School and teaches PE. Um, so, Josh, could you tell me about yourself and why you became a teacher? Uh, <laughs> sure. This this could be the entire podcast, I suppose. <laughs> um, about me, really quick. Um, I live out in the country, but I work in the city. Uh, my wife and I bought 10 acres and moved out and kind of grow most of our own food now, um, which is kind of a, an odd thing, I suppose. Yeah. Um, as far as how I got into teaching, that is a long story. I started, <laughs> um, I started coaching soccer when I was 16. Okay. Uh, my younger brother's team needed a coach and my friend and I did it with one of the dads who didn't know soccer, but we did the soccer. He did the okay. adult stuff. Um, and I loved it and I stuck with it through college. Um, I became a professional coach getting paid to coach youth soccer for a number of years and, that was my job during and after college primarily. That's how okay. I supported myself. And I was sitting on a soccer field one afternoon getting my shoes tied up to play with a friend's team. And a teammate of his was saying how he was an emergency substitute teacher. And okay. all you had to do was just sign up and they'd put you in a classroom and pay you. And I was looking for a more permanent job that was more you know, had benefits Most, and yes, whatnot. Sustainable and things. <laughs> yeah. And, and subbing is not that. But I thought, well, it's paying about what I'm making coaching. So I'll try it out and I can still coach in the afternoons. And, um, so I went in, signed up the next year. They stuck me in a classroom with absolutely no training. Wow. And I remember there was training for half an hour on how to fill out a timesheet. Right. Um, right. But that was it. Was this in Washington state? <laughs> oh, it was in Seattle. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I remember the first day is one of the first days of school standing in front of a high school class, I think at Rainier beach. And it's, you know, whatever time school started one minute before that. And I'm thinking, well, here we go. <laughs> and, and I loved it. Um, it was really fantastic. And being an emergency sub, you get all of the worst jobs. You call mm-hmm. in at 740 or 730 right before school starts. Okay. And if anybody hasn't taken a job, then they uh, offer it to you. And so the jobs that are available are like special ed, especially challenging mm-hmm. like EBD rooms. Um, PE, a lot of people are afraid of PE, mm. uh, and a few like technical things like wood shop or chemistry oh, right. or calculus, stuff like that. Um, so it was great. I, I figured if I like teaching and I'm working with EBD students mm-hmm. and working in PE jobs where there is no teacher and the kids have no structure and I'm right. doing great. Um, I thought I should do it. So I went back, got my degree and okay. subbed for a couple more years because I really liked it and realized it was a good way to kind of see the district and yeah, that's eventually great. started subbing at Eckstein a lot and really loved it here and kept subbing until I was able to get a full-time job. Okay. So 
So did you specifically seek out Eckstein then? I did. Since you were subbing? Um, okay. Yeah. when I had never worked here as an emergency sub, um, partially because of our great secretary, Ann Peterson, who's super <gasps> assertive amazing. in booking subs. Um, but once I became a fully cert- certificated teacher, I started subbing here more and more and really liked it. And people liked me or seemed to like me anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we and you. kept asking me back. Uh, so, yeah. And I... Having grown up in the Seattle schools and gone to Seattle schools and then worked in Seattle schools, I coached soccer at Garfield from when I was 19 on. So there was one year, my first year of college, when I was not attending or working in a Seattle school in my life. Wow. (laughs) Um, That's that's a good fact to do. So you really know it then. (laughs) I do. And I feel like I just subbing and seeing all the different schools, I had seen so much of the district that I knew that Eckstein was the place I wanted to be. Um, right. Largely because the staff was and still is excellent. There's just so many yeah. really exceptional people that I get to work with. And I don't feel like you get to do that in a lot of jobs. Maybe if I yeah. was working in like some department yeah. in Cambridge or something, or, mm-hmm. you know, working at NASA, you know, but right. you just don't like get to work team. with mm-hmm. where like every other person you work with is really phenomenal. Right. So. And I know that you have a lot of different endorsements. Um, so how did that come about? So Josh teaches PE right now, but you've taught science. You're teaching Eastern Hemisphere or like a sixth grade. And I know you've taught lots of other things. So how did that happen? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that could also be a whole podcast. Um, it, I don't even know where to start. I went to Garfield High School where learning okay. was like, not that I did very well. I didn't do a lot of homework, but I did love learning and I yeah. loved a lot of teachers I had and a lot of people I went to school with. And I just liked learning and growing. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I just like stuff. So I like learning yeah. about anything. Um, and then I went to Seattle U, which is like a Jesuit school. And I studied yep. ecology and political science there, which is kind of an odd combination. For college. For college. Yeah. Um, so I came out of college with a pretty relatively well-rounded education. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just, you know, like a lot of teachers, I like learning new things still as an adult. Yeah. Um, So anyway, I I got into teaching and I student taught in social studies and language arts and mostly because that was where you could get a job and Mm -hmm. that was what my education, I had enough like political science history classes, I could get that that endorsement. Um, So I started at Eckstein and then a couple years in, I got Rift and... I there was this paper you're supposed to sign every year that says like what you're certified to teach. Right. Yes. I think and we have to sign that. my understanding of the paper was that I was certified. <laughs> the joys of podcasting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I... Uh, where was I? <laughs> so you got certified in language arts uh, because that was your natural. Yeah. LA and then you got riffed. And I got riffed. And I okay. thought that that wouldn't have happened to me because I thought that I was also certified to teach a couple other subjects like science and math that weren't being riffed because there were mm. not, there was not, there was still a need for those teachers uh, because I had a K eight endorsement, which technically okay. meant that I could teach I anything wondering. kindergarten through eighth grade. Well, it turns out the sheet I signed was like super vague. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> was that the sheet you signed uh, at X, like with you Seattle sign it every district? year. Yeah. Actually, I think Anne just sent us an email saying, yeah, we need I, to I was do it say, again. I yeah. I, I always that. look at it very closely now and ask questions. <laughs> um, anyway, Long story short, I got rift. I eventually ended up getting rehired before the end of that school year, which okay. was needlessly traumatic because the people in the district budget office can't seem to do math too good. Uh. Did I just put that on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I, I realized, like, if I want to keep this job, yeah. I, need, 
I need to add some endorsements that are kind of harder to riff. Um, uh -huh. And I looked at what it took to get endorsed in science, and I had enough ecology and biology credits from college. And that combined with my subbing experience in science classes was mm -hmm. enough to get me certified in that. Oh, um, okay. I have, you know, like I said, I started coaching soccer at 16 and started right. getting paid to do it at 19. So I have professional experience in PE. Mm -hmm. um, besides just having an interest in health and nutrition in general. Right. And I want to say there's another endorsement in there somewhere. I, I've been teaching so, computer science for three years here yeah. at Eckstein and just transitioned to PE this year, which is not something I know about, knew about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But our, our former principal thought, well, you know, you do a lot with computers in your social studies class. Can right. you teach this? And I was like, well, uh, no, but I'll try. <laughs> um, and I actually ended up loving it and learned a ton about it. And if I wasn't teaching, I would probably be in a university earning a degree in computer science right now. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of why I have so many certifications. Okay. And I, I really enjoy teaching all of those subjects, too. Um, right. I'm not certified in math, but I long-term subbed in math. And okay. it's all just so interesting. I, there's yeah. middle school, like what kids learn in middle school is so interesting and so important. I feel like if every human knew kind of the curriculum through eighth grade, like really That's, knew it, not yeah. just graduated from eighth grade, the world would be a way better place. You, you really don't need to know a whole lot after eighth grade. Yeah, I often wish I could go back to all the classes people are teaching here. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. it was not. It was wasted on me as a student where I can't remember the things, <laughs> but it's actually really fascinating. Totally. Um, and and. So did you particularly, you have a K endorsement, but I guess, did you settle on middle school pretty early once you had been at Eckstein or was it kind of the school first kind I, of mentality? I settled on high school after I had oh, subbed okay. for a year and then I looked into signing up for like a program, like right. a teaching certification program. And it was in, I want to say like winter, because I started subbing mm. in September. By about December, I realized I really love this and mm -hmm. I want to pursue it. And when I looked into it, most of the programs in the area, like the UW, Seattle U, SPU, the major mm -hmm. university programs, they were accepting applications that were due like by the following fall. And then those programs would mm. start like sometime in that fall winter or spring of the following year right, right and then their programs were like a year and a half to two years like maybe a year and a half but they were off in the summer right and city university had a program that was for their k-8 generalists they didn't do mm. a high school endorsement and you could apply and be accepted by February and start in June, and mm -hmm. they would be done by the following June. Right. That's so actually kind of why I did my program as well. Yeah. So City you could start U, right away. I, I, doing the math, I, with City U, I was able to start teaching not the year after I subbed, but the year after that. So I right. basically lost one year of making money and, mm -hmm. and working in a classroom. And had I done any other program, it would have been at least three years yeah. rather than one that I wouldn't have been working. And so... Financially, it just made all the sense in the world. And, right. and I was, uh, I preferred high school, but middle school was kind of a, a firm second choice. Mm -hmm. um, and I just needed to, I figured, you know, if I got into it and I really wanted to do high school, I could go back and get a high school cert. Right. But I wanted, I wanted to just start teaching and start working. And, and it was also a shorter program. I mean, it mm -hmm. was a year instead of a year and a half. And I felt like I'd had enough background in coaching and substitute teaching that I didn't not to be arrogant, but I didn't really need the training yeah. to feel like I could teach in a classroom. Right. 
You yeah. need the certification. Right. I just needed the paper. Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> kind of speaking to that, what what was your experience of grad school like in, in terms of how it prepared you? Like ways that it did or um, didn't? It's hard for me to say. I feel like I, I wouldn't take anything I say to actually be true. Um, it is my perception. Right, I'm being right. honest. <laughs> well, but, your, your experience. But yeah, my experience coming from someone, I, I learned a lot coaching soccer. I worked with some exceptional soccer coaches who know more about teaching kids soccer than I think a lot of people know about teaching kids like hmm. math and science. And yeah. So I knew how to run a soccer practice real tight. I knew yeah. how to manage groups of kids. Um, so coming into City U, I, I don't feel like I learned all that much, mm. um, but I did learn some. I obviously learned a lot, student teaching and working in classrooms and working with other other teaching candidates and professors and just, mm-hmm. you know, thoughtful right, people right, who are in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't feel like there's a lot that I would look back on as like key training that I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, my impression of the CDU program was pretty positive. I felt okay. like a lot of what we did was worthwhile, mm-hmm. just maybe not as useful to me. Yeah. Um, compared to some other programs, I happened to work in a soccer store, soccer equipment store with mm-hmm. a guy who was completing the SPU program the same time I was completing CityU. And uh-huh. his experience there seemed like there was a lot more hoops to jump through and mm-hmm. kind of more more work that was not at all beneficial to him learning how to teach kids. Right. Um, so it was positive. I would say though, in general, like grad school for teachers is a joke. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a, a technical skill that you really have to be. It, I mean, imagine, you know, someone like LeBron James or, so, mm-hmm. you know, someone who does a skill really well, mm-hmm. you know, probably a professional athlete or an actor, someone we see all the right, time. Right. And they're going to like go to grad school for a year and learn how to do that skill. Like yeah. that's just not, it's not realistic and the whole idea that like people are going to learn how to teach mm-hmm. in a year or two mostly in the sitting in a classroom being taught how to do it is right really off base and not i don't think it's really realistic yeah i i almost wish you could jump a lot quicker into student teaching because right. i saw some people who were very passionate about the field of education and yet once they were thrown into a classroom found it very overwhelming mm-hmm. um, especially the fact that they they couldn't reach all kids or they couldn't change the system from within easily um and so i think some of them ended up not going into teaching kind of sadly but i think part of it was this like weird expectation difference and just like being in a classroom it's a totally different experience than talking about what it should be like it is it's just not you can't even begin yeah you, you can't talk about what it's like to teach in a classroom and actually learn a lot from mm-hmm. that without really doing it. Um, yeah. I also think substitute teaching is a fantastic kind of kind of way to get into it. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like we would be benefiting teacher candidates a lot more if rather than having them pay to go to school, they just were paid to substitute mm-hmm. teach for a year or two, or yeah. if that was a part of the, the process. Because um, right. really, I, I mean, not to knock, we have some really great subs at Eckstein, mm-hmm. but the reality is there are substitute teachers who are just horrendous and yeah. they don't they don't do their jobs they obviously don't take it seriously and and why we allow people like that to work in classrooms with kids in such a mm. vital position when we have all these teacher candidates that are twiddling their thumbs in a university classroom mm-hmm. really kills me you know because right. yeah. I, I just know how much I learned from subbing I probably learned oh as gosh. much yeah. from that year of emergency subbing as I did from coaching soccer it was just right. so helpful and I and I know I came into that city U program 
just light years ahead of everybody. I had a lot of my classmates kind of asking me questions that were kind of like, well, what is this actually like in a classroom? Mm -hmm. Like, I I see this lesson plan that we were given as an example. How would this actually work in a classroom? What do you find? You've talked a lot about how you like teaching and how you got into it. What do you like so much about it? Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) Almost everything except for a few things that I absolutely despise, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, Let me list them. I love summer vacation. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not the reason I teach, but it's, it's a big factor that keeps me from doing other similarly fascinating and really interesting, rewarding jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, The ability to take a month or two and really do, do something like Mm -hmm. really be good at something. Um, Right now for me, that's farming. It used to be coaching soccer. Uh Um, I love that. I feel like every year of my life I'm learning and growing besides teaching, doing these other things in the summer. Um, I like to work hard. And Mm -hmm. so teaching is kind of a job where you can work your tail off for 10 months Mm -hmm. and put in 2000 plus hours in 10 months. And then you get a couple months worth of vacation that you can do with as you please. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably the single favorite thing about the job is kind of a combination of getting to work with kids and like just people who are interested and thoughtful and and curious about the world and are Mm -hmm. willing to to change their mind based on something that they learn Mm -hmm. Um, and then in tandem with that is just the material itself like Mm -hmm. getting to learn about whatever it is I'm teaching and and think about how to teach that and really like master the curriculum I feel like whatever I'm teaching and this is something I always felt uncomfortable with in computer science where I didn't mm-hmm. have a background, but I feel like even teaching in middle school, like I have to know the subject matter well enough that I could teach it, say to like an AP high school group or like a uh-huh. freshman intro class at a university. Like I can't just be going out there with an eighth grade level understanding of fitness and nutrition right. and teaching PE. Um, so I really love getting to know subjects that well mm-hmm. um, and kind of become yeah. an expert or be an expert. Um, that really fascinates me. It's not the type of job where you just show up and punch out widgets all day and go <laughs> yes. home at five. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and with PE in particular, I remember talking to you last year and you were like, PE is my ideal job. <laughs> and I, I kind of understand from this coaching aspect. Um, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that because I think people don't often – necessarily think of like that what to go into and yet i think there's so many cool things you you are doing with it personally that i've haven't really gotten to witness much but um but why why pe in particular yeah um i could talk about that for a long time too um (laughs) uh, let me just start there's a funny observation i've made this year now that i'm teaching pe almost full-time i have one social studies class they gave me this year i'm essentially a pe teacher um and the last few years being a computer science teacher when people ask you, what do you do? What do you teach? And Mm -hmm. you say computer science, or I teach sixth grade computer science or middle school computer science. They look at you like, whoa, (sighs) super genius. Right, right. When you're like, this is what we're doing. When you tell them, oh, I'm a PE teacher, they're like, oh, (laughs) really? Like they kind of look at you like, oh, I bet your mom's pretty bummed about that kind of look, you know? (laughs) Right, right. Oh, you must be a lazy idiot who wants to go (laughs) home right after school lets out. Um, So it's really funny to see that that extreme dichotomy in how how I'm perceived (laughs) now that my job title has changed. Uh, But what I – so just about PE in general, I – I'm drawn to it um, partially because I love coaching. I love teaching athletics to kids. But Mm -hmm. um, if you'll allow me to climb up on my high horse, um, we live in a society that's just completely poisonous. 
we poison other humans in our society to make a profit. Um, whether we're talking about food or like air quotes food, or we're talking about environmental pollution, or we're talking about building a society that encourages people to not be active and not be mm -hmm. fit. Um, what were the media that we're putting on, putting in front of kids on screens, like all there's just so much working against all of us, kids and adults having mm -hmm. healthy, happy, productive lives mm -hmm. in, in a real genuine sense, not productive in the sense that you can like go to your job and do your job and go home, but like productive in that you're making the world a better place than it was when you got here and mm -hmm. you're enjoying yourself and your life and the people around you are enjoying you and you're enjoying them. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like a lot of that is allowed to happen because it's not taught in schools. There's mm. the domain of the school, which is like academic subjects, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And then there's the domain of the family and the community, which is food and health and mm. fitness and a number of other things as well. And the fact of the matter is we don't, we no longer have this kind of cultural narrative of what it is to be healthy or how to be mm -hmm. healthy. We've lost that. And that now is, is delivered to us by corporations with a profit motive mm -hmm. or a federal government that's basically run by the corporations that earn profits. I mean, you just look at like the whole my plate thing and like how we're encouraged to eat a certain way. And mm -hmm. that's largely nonsense. Like humans don't really need to eat any grains. They certainly don't need to eat as many as the federal government would say we do. And, mm -hmm you know, and a balanced diet, like, what is that? You know, there's just a lot of messaging, even well-intentioned messaging, I think, from some people within the government that's really not ideal, mm -hmm. to say nothing of the very ill-intentioned messaging coming from corporations and other mm -hmm. groups about, you know, like the American Heart Association sticks mm -hmm. a sticker on a box of Cheerios and says it's good for your heart. Well, a lot of those, <laughs> a lot of those companies that are producing Cheerios are are giving money to the American Heart Association. There's nothing in Cheerios that's good for your heart. <laughs> like it's just not. Like eat a head of lettuce, that's good for your heart. Cheerios is not. And what? So, All lies. <laughs> and I feel like as a PE teacher, that's kind of the one narrow window into that side of our society that schools have. Like mm -hmm. it's the the one chance I have to teach kids a little bit about this stuff. And I'm mm -hmm. I'm not under any illusions that they're going to leave me knowing everything they need to about food and being able to cook their own healthy food and knowing how to be fit and exercise and loving exercising. But I want to try to at least expose them to that and kind of get them thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, in some ways, it's what also I loved about computer science because it's such an essential subject mm. that just isn't being taught in schools. And if I can get a couple of kids hooked on computer science or interested in learning more, mm -hmm. it's going to change their lives. And right. so I, I guess I especially like teaching subjects that you really have an opportunity to make a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, like everyone needs to learn how to read, write, do math. I remember my seventh grade social studies teacher taught me the five paragraph essay, which I still use today. Right. But, you know, a lot of times what you really take away from school are those unique teachers or those unique experiences mm -hmm. that, that are a little different um, and valuable. Right. Mm -hmm. And do you, for, uh, for P, is there a curriculum uh, that you use? Do you uh, design a lot of it? <laughs> <laughs> I realize I actually know very little about the subject um i could give you two different answers and then let you know later if i'm comfortable <laughs> with the second one being put on the internet okay <laughs> um, sounds good the first answer is yes there's a curriculum we use the five for life curriculum in the seattle schools um mm -hmm. which is i don't know a lot about it i was only teaching pe part-time when it was first adopted mm -hmm. and then not for a couple years and then back part-time and um it's a national curriculum mm -hmm. that we purchased um 
it's I couldn't say if it's good or bad compared to other PE curriculum. Mm. I'm not, I was never the type of person to like be down with all of the different curriculums that are out there for a given subject. Um, It's inadequate. It's Mm. largely based on kind of like for uh, an example is like kids are asked to learn about bones Mm. and muscles. So like in my, in my class, we didn't use the curriculum that was provided. Um, instead, kids learned about like the fundamentals of like how to build stronger bones, what bones mm-hmm. do, what muscles do, how to build stronger mm-hmm. muscles. They're connected to bones with tendons. Mm-hmm. When the muscle contracts, it pulls on a tendon, pulls on a bone. So like, kind, kind of, of like basic of functional it. stuff that like might be useful to you in the future. In Five for Life, they're asked to memorize a certain amount, like most of the major bones and mm. muscle groups in the body, and then be able to locate them on a worksheet. Okay. And that's just not, it's not important. It's not useful. You know, right. if it was a physiology class, that would be appropriate. But right, right. you don't need to know the name of the muscle in your thigh to know that if you went for a run, the muscle in your thigh is now sore, you mm-hmm. should ice it. Right. Like that's, you know, and and you don't need to know the name of, your leg bone to know that like jumping off of a box that's 18 inches high or taller is going yeah. to build strength in your bones. Uh-huh. Drinking milk is not like right. that type of stuff is just not, it's not very practical. So it's like kind of a, uh, my perception of the five for life is that we adopted it at a time when common core was becoming kind of becoming a big deal. Now mm-hmm, it is a big mm-hmm. deal. And I think there's still this feeling among a lot of PE teachers or the, the PE world that, we need to legitimize PE by making it mm. more like what these other subjects are, which mm. is like, we're going to teach you this concept. We're going to test this concept. And right. then when we see that you've learned it, we'll be able to say, we taught you something. And yeah. PE is just not a subject that lends itself as much to that model. It's, right. it's really, I think part partially, it's just an opportunity for kids to run around and have a blast for yeah. an hour while they're at school and really like get some exercise and let off some steam. But also which is good for their brain, right? So. Yeah, yeah, which is has been All shown research, scientifically. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, real research too. That's Let's what I'm not, when we say research in education, a lot of times <laughs> it's like air quotes research. But yeah, there's like real science that shows it's beneficial for their brains. Um, but but I think that it's a, an attempt to kind of legitimize PE, and I think inadvertently what it ends up doing is kind of delegitimizing mm-hmm. it. Like PE just is not kids sitting down for 20 minutes listening to a lesson or completing a worksheet or you know and i went to a training once where kids were learning about i don't remember what let's say bones yeah and one of there's an activity we can do to learn about bones we put a bunch of papers face down on one end of the gym with different names of bones on them Mm -hmm. kids at the other end they run down and grab one and bring it back and they have to build like a skeleton and it's a relay race that's fine i guess but it's like is relay racing really like a worthwhile activity that we're going to do like like that's going to be a unit right. like relay races or are we going to do like a unit on bones and do a bunch of kind of dopey activities that mm. it just wasn't and and frankly if we were in another classroom like if a science teacher had kids running back and forth outside mm-hmm. you know doing a relay race that would be like a neat little one-off activity but that wouldn't be any kind of like a it wouldn't be the unit yeah it, that's right. not pedagogy like that's not yeah. how we're going to teach something consistently so mm-hmm. it's really Instead of looking at PE as like what I think it can be, which kind of I touched on already, it's really kind of kind of presenting it in this very limiting sort of a way of, Mm. you know, like we have standards and we teach to those standards and we test those standards. And um, you could get me going on how I don't really feel like that's appropriate, especially for middle schoolers Mm -hmm. and their developmental level. But but besides that, it's just not I don't 
I don't think that Five for Life or most other PE curriculums I've seen snippets of is really going in the right direction right now. And I'd say that's just a general negative trend in education. Um, So if you were to develop the Josh Hansen curriculum, it'd be more about developing healthy or healthy lifestyles or I I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's a tough question for me to answer because, well, for one, I came into this position a week into the school year. Right. Right. And I realize you're still thinking like you're in (laughs) it. (laughs) Well, and I've thought about it. it. I've taught it part-time like for a period or two every few years in my time Mm -hmm. at Eckstein. Um, So I thought about it. Um, This year I'm, the curriculum is pretty much from the seat of my pants. Yeah, like yeah. I came, a, came in a week, like no planning, no you preparation literally for were the teaching school year. Computer tech. science. Yeah, yeah. Computer science. Um, but in general, like one of the assignments my kids are doing right now is a project I wanted to do last year with my Singleton PE class that mm-hmm. I had, um, but I just couldn't, I couldn't get it together to do it. It's because mm-hmm. it takes quite a bit of organization. Um, the kids decided on one thing that they can do for a month to improve their health. Um, And for some kids, it can be as simple as eating a piece of fruit for breakfast Mm -hmm. every morning or no screen time after 930 or something Mm -hmm. like that. For some kids, I have one student who um, is running three times a week with his dad. And I asked him, oh, that's cool. Does your dad do that already? Or is Mm -hmm. this new for him too? And he told me it's new for him. And it's really great because he has diabetes. And Mm. my mom has been on him to start exercising and so now this is the opportunity for him to start doing that. Cool. Um, so, which was not the type of response I was expecting with right, this project. Right. Um, so that type of thing, I think, like, if you can really get kids to actually make changes in their lives that mm-hmm. are healthier, um, even if it's a little thing, you know, you're, they're learning how that they can change their lives, which at mm-hmm. that age is kind of a big deal. You're still just out of elementary school. You're not really an adult yet but you're really starting to be independent and think independently and Mm -hmm. and i think for them to really take the the initiative and changing this single thing um is the type of behavior that kids need to be practicing and learning right um and then every week they check in with an adult um they had to get the their initial plan what they're going to do signed Mm -hmm. off by an adult and every week they check in with that adult and they have a little check-in sheet they turn in to me Uh um so the idea also is to kind of bring families into this a little bit Mm -hmm. Um, they can use teachers too i have a couple kids that are using teachers as their adult but in general it's like parents and guardians who are who are also involved with this so Mm -hmm. because a lot of i mean i'm sure most teachers have this thought often that like a lot of what's challenging about our job or Mm -hmm. easy about our job has to do with kids experiences outside of school right whether it's at home or in the community with Mm -hmm. friends um, so the more we can kind of connect the community to the school, I think, whether it's around health and nutrition or anything else, I think is is beneficial. Um, yeah. So that that's a big part of it. And I would also just say, like, you know, activity, getting kids exercising yeah. and having fun. And I'm hoping that, you know, I've told my kids this a few times, but, you know, even if you never play on a volleyball team, mm-hmm. if I can teach you how to play volleyball well enough that when you go off to college and you walk by that field freshman year in September, you don't know anybody and a kid says to you, hey, you want to come play volleyball with us you say yes because you want to make some friends and you know how to play well enough that you don't feel like a total dope and right. <laughs> you, you feel like oh, i'll give it a shot yeah. you know because that's those are important skills i mean yeah. reading and writing of course are extremely important but if you if you can't catch a cold and you can't run and you can't i mean besides health health issues right. you know you have all these it's kind of a social barrier yeah as well so you've talked a lot about um 
some of the positive things and the things you love and are passionate about, what is frustrating to you about teaching or education? <laughs> you picked a good year to ask me that question. Um, the ProTeach portfolio, that's P-R-O-T-E-A-C-H portfolio, is it, it is the worst thing that's happened to me in my life for a number of years. Um, fortunately, I can say that. I haven't had any any parents or mm. best friends pass away or anything like that lately, but it is... It's terrible. Um, This is the worst year of teaching I've ever experienced. Um, And I'm doing what I love finally. (laughs) So I should have that. (laughs) That's that's balanced by me being able to teach PE. Um, So that, that is singularly the worst part of my job. It's a, it's a portfolio sort of thing you have to complete um, over the course of a school year to re up your certificate. Mm -hmm. And it's just, so as someone who taught computer science and learned quite a bit about like, user interface and design and web design and like just and as a teacher you know as a teacher you always think about how is this thing I'm creating or this thing I'm doing or presenting how is this going to be perceived by Mm -hmm. other humans will they understand it how can I optimize their understanding of it Um, ProTeach is obviously built by a couple of jerks with like some PO box and no actual Mm -hmm. office and enough programming skills to like build a website And then they sold it to the state and probably other states, too. In fact, I know other states. And I believe Pearson now owns them, which isn't surprising. Um, Pearson is definitely in the top ten of evil corporations in the world. They're largely driving the whole testing scheme that America's schools embrace. Um, And it's just a terrible experience. The website, I would encourage anyone listening to this, especially if you're not a teacher, to look up ProTeach Portfolio and just try to figure out how to sign up for this. Um, don't sign up because it'll cost you $500 of your own money, but uh, it's, it, it took me a couple hours just to sign up. And then you sign oh up, and it's just so poorly designed. The, the questions are, are vague. Uh-huh. The rubrics that are used to score the questions are nowhere near the questions on the website. I still haven't found out where on the website I can find the rubric, but a friend of mine found some paper copies okay. when she went to a training. So basically, you sign up for the portfolio thing, and they immediately encourage you to to sign on with one of the many local providers that will help you work through the portfolio. <sighs> and basically, then you pay a university five hundred bucks, show up every Saturday. So you have to pay five hundred bucks just to register. Just to register, five hundred bucks just 500 to do it. If you want to do a class, anywhere between a couple hundred to over a thousand. Oh yeah, the, the union offers a pretty minimal program that I think is a couple hundred, but. Mm. Most of the local universities have like between five hundred and a thousand dollar programs that mm-hmm. you show up every Saturday for a while and they walk you through like each step you have to complete and what each answer should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I like on principle I just can't pay more money. Yeah. Like this is something I should be able to do independently. Like I'm a good teacher, I work hard. Like right. I if the purpose of this is to evaluate that I'm good enough at teaching to to like renew my certificate and allow me to keep yeah. teaching in the state then it, the the assessment should stand on its own legs mm-hmm. and instead the opposite is true and of course it the the outcomes you could look at the outcomes and statistically I'm sure see that people that complete the pro teach portfolio tend to teach longer, tend to be better teachers or have better mm. teaching outcomes. But that's only because it's such a devastatingly <laughs> just just terrible experience. It's so yeah. much work. It's all busy work. I'm, I'm not doing things in PE this year that I would like to do because I'm spending time on ProTeach instead. Yeah. It's such a waste of time. If you are really willing to commit to this, then you love teaching. And actually, yeah. I've, I've joked with friends and probably joked with you before yeah. <laughs> about how I just keep 
hoping that one day I'll wake up and have the same passion for something besides teaching that I have for teaching. Because it would yeah. be so easy for me to just, you know, apply to the UW or Seattle U's computer science programs or right. th- whatever it is that I decide I'd want to do. But I haven't yet. I keep yeah. wanting to teach. And so I keep having to do this stupid pro teach thing. <laughs> um, Was there a reason you chose that over national boards? Um, I mean, I know national boards has is like a ton of work as well. Yeah. Um, so national boards, my impression or from what I've heard is that it's even more difficult. Yeah. Um, okay. And pro teach, to be clear, is not. It's it's not difficult in a good way. It's difficult in a very bad way. It's just like logistically logistically difficult. Right? It's no. it's beyond confusing. I don't know what to do. The only reason I'm able to complete it much at all right now is that we have a colleague who did sign up in one of mm-hmm. these programs, and she's been kind of working with a group of us and walking us through. Like, well, last Saturday they said to do this, and I'm like, okay, yeah. I'll do that. Um, but national boards, my impression was that it was both confusing and also extremely a lot of work and difficult and challenging and mm-hmm. and i i love teaching but i don't um i don't feel like national boards would have been that useful for me like if mm-hmm. i'm going to put in that much effort there's other things i can do self-directed or seeking out other personal resources like other people i know are good teachers which i already right. do right. and learning from them um and furthermore, I know that there's a like a I think five thousand dollar bonus or something annual mm, bonus that comes with right. national boards, but that always seems to be like, like on the chopping block. Yeah, I was talking to someone. About and that. I don't have a desire to travel or live anywhere in any other state. If mm-hmm. I did, I would have done national boards, but I just right. didn't didn't really need it. Didn't want to do even more work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just seems so confusing the pro teach stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not there yet. <laughs> um, so. What what advice? Do you, so, kind of thinking of maybe that or not thinking of that. What <laughs> advice do you have for people who are interested in teaching? And we touched on it a little bit earlier in terms of get as much experience as possible. Yeah. Um, is there any other advice you might have? Um, yeah, but I would first reiterate that get as much experience as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I, even as a pretty young kid, like around fifteen, sixteen, I started working at soccer camps and. There's mm-hmm. always opportunities to teach. So, right. like, you know, if you're in college and you want to teach, go to the local Boys and Girls Club or a local mm. sports club and see if they have a need for coaches or see even assistant coaches. It, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And mm-hmm. and I would also say if anyone's considering kind of, you know, if you're in a different career or just out of college and you mm-hmm. haven't done any teaching and you're thinking about signing up for a teaching certification program, um, try it first. Find mm. a way to teach people stuff. Um, the more you do it, the better, because it is really challenging. And mm-hmm. I will say that, like teaching in a public school classroom, isn't the same as teaching like a, a soccer team or right. teaching adults, or because um, you the big difference, which I think a lot of people don't appreciate when mm-hmm. grownups who are interested in the subjects create curriculum and mm. you know Common Core right. and all this, is that you're dealing with an audience that by and large doesn't want to be there. Yeah. You know, like like some kids are really excited for any given class and, you know, some classes are more interesting or exciting than others, mm-hmm. especially ones where you get to build and make stuff or PE, get right, to run right. around and <laughs> compete and play sports. But it's really tough to teach kids, yeah. um, but also rewarding. And I think if it's something that you want to do, you just don't every I feel like every teaching program has a handful of candidates who, once they actually get into a classroom, just cannot do it. Yeah. Um, anybody can do it. But if you 
if you come in and you're just totally overwhelmed and you can't get on top of the situation, you know, just being in front of a group of kids and trying to teach them, um, I, I would say there are technical things you can do to, to get on top of it and do it, but yeah. you don't, you don't want to have that realization two months into your teaching program right. when you realize, Oh my God, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, because teaching programs really just are not set up to take you from zero to teacher. Yeah. Um, some people do it, but those are really, people come in with kind of an innate ability for it. And if you lack that innate ability, it's going to really be challenging for you. Yeah. Um, and then kind of wrapping up, I mean, we could talk for (laughs) so much time. It's really fun talking to you. Um, can you think back on a particular class or maybe student, obviously no names, um, that stood out (laughs) to you and it could be stood out in a really, Good way or strange way or um, not so great way, but you took something from it. You know, I, I listened to a, a few of your podcasts the other day. Cause I was thinking, <laughs> oh, my God, I never oh, I keep meaning to listen to those and I never have. And now I'm going to be on the podcast and like, listen to figure out what it's all about. Plus, it sounds fascinating. And it is. Um, and so that was a question that you asked other people. And I was thinking, oh, my God, how? So the, the reality is, um, as research has tended to indicate or seems to indicate like humans can't keep track of more than about 150 social relationships at Mm. any given time. Yeah. And then like early human groups when they exceeded that size would split, we think. Um, So, which is funny because every year I learn all my students' names and I feel like the following year I start start to forget them as I learn new kids' names. Um, Yeah. So uh, one thing I've learned over the years is, or found is, is that the names that I remember are from my earliest students. Like, like mm. those are the ones that really like it's stuck in my brain. And now that I think back, I had like teachers that said the same thing. Yeah. Or, you know, like, I saw my, um, my film study and philosophy teacher from senior year in high school, maybe five or six years back. Uh-huh. And, and he was so impactful to me. And I came up and I saw him in a bar and I said, Hey, yeah. Oh my God, Mr. Eric, it's you. Oh, and he kind of looked at me like, Oh my God, who is this? Like, and I had to like processing. remind him. And then finally he was like, Oh, right, right, right. But he'd been teaching for like 10 years before that. And, yeah, yeah. You know, we talked about that a little bit and, um, so a couple kids, two kids in particular that stand out. One, I don't know his name. Um, uh-huh. He, I met him the year that I was emergency subbing, okay. and I subbed in a class at Meany Middle School early in the year. And it was one of those classes. Meany was a pretty tough school, right. um, Central District, Seattle, mm-hmm. um, a lot of behavior issues. I ended up student teaching there later. Okay. Um, and in that class, there was a group of boys who were, seemed like kind of the popular boys, mm-hmm. and a group of girls who were kind of the popular girls. And and there's a female teacher, and she left pretty good lesson plans, and there's work for the kids to do. And I could tell that it was a class where the girls kind of ran things. Like, they were the mm. good kids. They were the ones that were providing a good example. And, right. and when you're a sub, it's, all, it's a bargain. Like, you kind of bargain <laughs> with the kids, look, here's the deal. As long as it's not so crazy, the principal can hear you down the hallway. And as long as you get this work done, you know, you can talk with your friends while you work. You you know, you find a way to make it work. You can't just come in and tell them to sit down and shut up. That doesn't work. So, so I'm, you know, they're getting their work done kind of. The boys I allowed to work together against my better judgment. And they're actually working together. They're actually getting work done. Yeah. I'm checking in with them. They're, they're asking some questions. The girls aren't really getting work done. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Mm -hmm. The, The group of girls is mostly chatty and, I had to correct one of them a couple times and basically just tell her, be quiet, stop disrupting class. And the third time she flipped out and I was like, you you can't be in here acting like this. I'm sorry, but you know, you need to go to the office and kick her out of class and all that. 
didn't think anything of it in particular. And then that spring, I'm at Aki Kurosi subbing in their PE department, uh-huh. um, which gets back to the thing about people should sub first instead of going to teacher school. They had no PE teacher, and they hadn't all year. <gasps> and I came in for a week with a history teacher who was there full time and was like teaching PE and history, but uh-huh. wasn't a PE person. And after that week, the secretary said, do you want this job? And I said, yes, I do, uh-huh. but I can't have it because I right, don't right. have my teaching uh-huh. certificate yet. Um, but during the course of this, this kid who, like, real athletic kid, mm-hmm. uh, young boy, I think he was an eighth grader, he was kind of out of place or, like, not, didn't really mm. fit in. And he yep. looked familiar to me. And I'd never been I, – I didn't think I'd seen him at Aki before. Like, I taught yeah. at Aki before, right. but I didn't remember having him in a class there. But he just had a familiar face. Mm-hmm. And halfway through the week, he comes up to me in the hallway between classes and he he starts talking to me and he mm-hmm. says, hey, you taught at Meany this year, didn't you? And I said, yeah, how do you know that? <laughs> yeah. And he told me about what happened, what I just told you happened yeah. in this uh-huh. class. And he says to me, that was so cool. Like me and my friends always get in trouble. Miss so-and-so, whatever her name was, right, right. always getting us in trouble. And she, the kid I kicked out, is always just like, you know, getting like talking and you know, but she never gets in trouble. And then you came in and you were just like, get out of here. And, you know, he used some words, more colorful language than I'm using right now in a right. library with students working in it. But, um, but I just remember thinking like, that's what this kid remembers from middle school from this mm. year, from the start of middle right. school this year when he was at Meany and then he came to Aki and, mm-hmm. and he's thinking like, Oh, I remember that guy that like, you know, like we did what we were supposed to do and right. that was cool. And we got rewarded for it. And, you know, it, it, it's not that big of a deal. I don't, I don't think I had like any kind of a major impact on his life, but we had a neat conversation yeah. for a few minutes and, and it just made me realize how these little things you do right. really sometimes have a big impact. Usually they have no yeah. impact at all. But, right. Right. Um, but I think a series of little impacts have a big impact. Yeah. So if the series yeah. of little impacts you're having are you're getting trouble, like, and then it's just kind of repetitive. I think, that does add up. So I think things like certainly, that, or certainly. sometimes a moment that's unexpected, like, yeah, like maybe what you did can be, can have an impact, even if it's not necessarily a life changing, which I don't, I'm not sure how you measure anyway. Um, yeah. I'm always surprised about that. Well, and another kid I want to mention, who's actually a name that I remember, and I will mention his first name. Okay. Um, D'Anthony. Okay. Not that he would be listening to this, but if he is, he <laughs> should look up Mr. Hansen at Eckstein. Cause he really wants to know <laughs> what you're up to. Um, I had DeAnthony as a student teacher when I was at Meany, uh-huh. and I loved him. He was the funniest, most intelligent seventh grader I've ever met. Okay. And he never did anything, never <laughs> turned in a single piece of work. It, by halfway through my time there, it, he started bringing a pencil sometimes. Okay. And he would accept a pencil from me the other times, and that was like a victory. <laughs> But when you talked with him, he was a genius, like mm-hmm. literally a genius. Right. And it was really sad to see him kind of like flounder, kind of pissing it away. Yeah. If I can use that word on yeah, your that's, podcast. That's fun. like <laughs> he and I know I don't remember the, the details, but I know that outside of school, his life was very, very tumultuous. Mm-hmm. And he did not have not just not have a positive home life. He had a mm-hmm. very unstable life outside mm-hmm. of school. Right. Um, so I can also appreciate that him just coming to school and being in a stable place was good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, he's someone that I reflect on a lot because yeah. I, with kids like that, you know, sometimes nobody reaches them. Sometimes mm-hmm. a person does right. and you're not often that person, but I yeah. feel like you need to try to be that person. Yeah. Um, 
because you know there's a lot of kids that have a lot of advantages and disadvantages but when you meet a kid who is so kind and so capable of like like empathy Mm -hmm. but in a in a really organic way not in a like i learned manners from someone way but like in a just i view people positively Mm -hmm. and i don't want harm to come to them and i want their lives to be better when we're done interacting like when you meet people that have that approach to life and they're just so intelligent and Mm -hmm. so capable but they're just not doing anything with any of that yeah it's really sad you know because those are the type of people that we want to be leaders in our society right we want to be plugged into to our culture and mm-hmm. to the decision-making apparatus in our in our country and right and so he's he's just a kid and I've known other kids like him. <laughs> Looking at one right now with his hand in the air in the library, <laughs> won't mention his name. Um, I've known other kids like him too who I just I just always think of DeAnthony and how I want to try to get them plugged in. And if I fail, like you said, maybe. Maybe I don't totally fail. Maybe it's one little thing I did or a number of little things I did and a number of little things that dozens of other teachers did that maybe at some point clicks for that kid. Right. Um, I'm not that smart, but I feel like that was my experience in school. Like, I didn't really like to do schoolwork. I didn't get great grades, but Mm -hmm. there were a lot of people along the way that did a lot of little things for me where eventually by college I was very interested in learning and very interested in the world and and I know that a lot of those teachers had a lot to do with that. Even yeah. if at the moment, as a middle schooler or high schooler, I didn't really appreciate it fully. Right. Yeah. Well, Josh, this has been a really fun conversation. Um, <laughs> Thanks. And as I said, we could keep going, but I will let you get back because yeah. you still have to drive to your amazing house. So thank you so much for being on my show. <laughs> Thanks. With all the noise in the background, too. Yeah, it's my pleasure. <laughs> That's the end of my show. Thanks for listening. You can find future episodes on adequateyearlyprogress.com iTunes, and hopefully soon the Microsoft Podcast app. Thanks to the band Inspira's song Follow the Waves for the upbeat music you are dancing to right now. Thanks to freesound.org for the Creative Commons license for user S-B-Y-A-N-D-I-J-I's alarm bell sound, user Totia's Yeah sound, and user Mental Sanity Off for the background chatter sound. Thanks for listening and talk to you next on February 8th.